Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Everyone and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar. And joining me today, we have two guests together. We've got Matt McGraw, he is the CEO, and Zane Witherspoon, the CTO at Dispatch Labs. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey, thanks so much for having us. Hey, this is Matt. Nice to see you. All right, guys. So I don't know who's going to be better for this question, but who wants to tell us about Dispatch Labs and what you guys are doing over there? We're doing a whole lot. Um, this is Zane, uh, CTO. So I can tell you that we're building and have almost built now a new blockchain protocol that's a platform that enables distributed data analysis on dApps that deal with really, really big quantities of data. Uh, so things that might involve IoT or AI or uh, medical records are all great use cases to build on the dispatch protocol. Very cool. And Matt, you want to add anything to that? Uh, sure. I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle. That's the functionality of the protocol. And uh, the reason that we're doing it, the, the why behind the what really, is because Zane and I and our co-founder, Patrick Winstrom, who's the COO, uh, we met last spring and we wanted to do something in blockchain, uh, distributed ledger. And we wanted, we settled on an idea to do something in the music space, a, a Netflix competitor, a Spotify competitor, iTunes competitor, and really a blockchain 1.0 idea, which is cut out the middleman and enable artists to capture more of the value they're creating. And we very quickly realized we couldn't do it with tech that was available at the time. You still couldn't do it with tech that's available now. And we were we started designing dispatch protocol to enable us to, to do that. And um, we have a very strong passion for not just decentralization as a philosophical thing, but as a value creator for more people more broadly. And uh, we really are, are deeply passionate about building Dispatch as a platform for other people to change the world and to build business, new business models and to kind of disrupt the Facebooks, the Googles and the Amazon, the current kind of data brokers out there today. A very, a very noble cause. And and something that that I think is is needed right now in this in this time that we're in. Um, you've got a bunch of different stuff, so so anyone can come with their business that wants to use your service. I guess how does that all work? If someone's got an idea and they want to come and use Dispatch Labs, walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, our uh, this is Matt. Our protocol is open source. We have a uh, an onboarding process. We have a, uh, a developer related program and. Um, if your blockchain, not blockchain, doesn't matter, you can come and take a look at the code. It's open source, like I said. There's, uh, we have a GitHub repository, and we've got a very active developers community on Discord, which is a communications tool. And um, you start building. We're backwards compatible with Ethereum, uh, and so Solidity is the language that you can code your smart contracts in. And uh, it's, the on-ramp is, is actually not that steep. You guys are also, I see here, having a mobile wallet. Are you, do you have your hands in some cryptocurrency as well or just the wallet part? Yeah, so the Dispatch Network runs on its own native currency, the Dispatch Divi. Uh, the Dispatch Divi is worth bandwidth on the Dispatch Network. So we're, we're actually creating a network like Ethereum, but one that doesn't have transaction fees. The way it works, keeping people from spamming the network, is it's based on stake. So if you own a little bit of the currency and you have some stake in the network, 
then that entitles you to be able to send some number of transactions per day. So, and this is Matt, if you're a developer, you download the mobile wallet in the Apple App Store, you buy some Divi. Today, you get some Divi as a test because we're still in test, we're still in beta. But after the network launches uh, in, the, in the next couple months, October, that's right, uh, date to be announced, specific date to be announced, but you go ahead and download the mobile wallet, you buy some Divi and you stake that to the network and, and you can code against the, the protocol. And uh, the more tokens you hold, the more tokens you've owned, uh, the more bandwidth that you uh, get in our network. So if you're, for instance, a HIPAA compliant application and you require a lot of data transfer, you're going to want to own more tokens. If you're a developer that's just trying stuff out with proof of concepts, you barely have to own any. That makes sense to you? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And it's nice that that, you know, it's really engaging, which is, which is what's missing from a lot of different um, applications. Yeah, I think this is Matt again. I think it's very, I think cryptocurrency based applications or tokenized applications are very engaging for that very reason. You've got multiple incentives. You're a developer, you've got an idea, the protocol works. That's kind of the old world. In the new world, you've got an idea, the protocol works, you've got, you own part of that network, you're owning the Divi in this case. And that's another incentive to go out and tell everybody else to go and buy some Divi and to build projects on the dispatch network. And, and that's, I think that's a pretty powerful change in business model. Well, that's what you're here for. You're here for some disruption. Um, on your wallet, you also support other cryptocurrencies or is it just Divi for now? So uh, this is Zane here. The product vision for the mobile application is far from just a wallet. What we really want to create is sort of the all-in-one place to check up on the dispatch network. One of the things that a lot of blockchains don't have is adoption. I argue that the one chain that people actually interact with applications on right now is Ethereum. And one of the core things that Ethereum has going for it is lots and lots and lots of tools to interact with it. In Chrome, it's MetaMask. On a command line, it's Get. And on a mobile wallet, on a mobile phone, uh, they have several people building mobile wallets or mobile browsers so that you can actually interact with those distributed applications built on Ethereum. The dispatch wallet today is used for the functionality of transferring tokens, but soon it's going to turn into more of a dApp store where we can actually showcase a lot of the projects being built on dispatch. Yeah. One of the things that we really want to do is like what inspired us in the beginning Let's give glory to the creators. Um, we're trying to create a world where entrepreneurs can reach out directly to their fans in this all-in-one, very cohesive ecosystem. And that transfers uh, from mobile wallet to desktop, network scanner, and um, even on the back end between things like having your smart contracts and your data storage compartmentalized into a single beautiful package. We cater in this sort of uh, full product planning, full product planning, to both the developers and the consumers, because really we're trying not to be the middlemen. We want to give them the interface to interact with each other. And and that's you know that's what it's all about is giving power back to the people and them being able to to mold it into what they need because no one has the same needs. And uh, and I love this this little snippet on your website. You you talk about the freedom to pursue big ideas unencumbered by data and scaling limitations. You're really trying to say, hey, no idea is too big or too small. We're here to to give you that platform to jump off of. Uh, yeah, we couldn't agree more. This is Matt. One of the things that we're wary of is being tagged as the enterprise blockchain. Um, that <laughs> just reeks of like big company only. And I want there to be able to be a developer in Nigeria who's got a crazy idea who can run with it. 
on the dispatch network as much as I want Apple to use our protocol for iTunes. And uh, and I think we can do both. Matt, you're breaking the script. You're supposed to be pro enterprise, and I'm like, yo, go start it. <laughs> 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 so give us a little background about about yourselves. Um, you know, your history, how you got involved with dispatch, and you know, where you see it going in the future. I, I I'll go first. This is Zane because I don't think I can follow up Matt. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> uh, take it back to uh, background in cybersecurity mostly around network security. Um, I worked for Raytheon for a little bit before working for a DDoS mitigation company called Nexus Guard. I found blockchain in 2016 um, via investing in Bitcoin when it was around $400. Then first time it doubled in 2016. I think like a lot of people, like, well, what's this whole blockchain tech about? Mm-hmm. Um, once I had written my first Ethereum smart contracts by like October, 2016, uh, I knew it was something that was going to change the world. So I really quickly dove in to become a subject matter expert as soon as possible. I uh, published an uh, academic business white paper um, published by Cornell University Library Archive entitled Advancing Consumer Adoption of Blockchain Applications, which I'm pretty sure is why Matt liked me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at <laughs> Cornell. Um, I published a couple of viral articles about uh, Ethereum development, and I think most importantly, I realized that we needed to build community. It's about people. So I started organizing the San Francisco Ethereum meetup um, early 2017. And it was that spring when Mr. McGraw walked through our doors. <laughs> and I, I guess that's a good time for me to jump in. Uh, so I'm the gray-haired guy in the group. Uh, I my, my story starts back when everything was black and white. Um, so I moved, <laughs> moved to San Francisco in 1994 uh, before the internet was really a big thing out here. And... Really didn't come out here to be a tech guy. Uh, San Francisco was more of a financial, western part of the country, financial um, center at the time, and tech was down in San Jose. Well, you know, the the internet boom started happening. I backed into a tech job because it was what you did and uh, was a consultant for a few years in the first nationwide IT consulting firm for small to medium enterprises. I, I didn't, frankly, I pretty unemployable. I didn't really like it. <laughs> I didn't like the company. I quit and I started my own company uh, called Rocket Science Consulting. Rocket Science was my baby for 15 years. Um, it scaled to some success. Uh, our business was, ev- we basically were the outsourced IT department for every quickly scaling startup you could think of, especially in the Web 2.0 era. And we're talking the Foursquares and Twitters and Uber and Airbnbs and then the, all the back-end technology companies that kind of enabled them, the platform companies that enabled them, the Heroku's, the Joyants, the Engineer, et cetera, uh, and many, many more. We had four to 500 customers in San Francisco, New York, all over the place. And I got to know the tech industry backwards, forwards, up and down. I got to know all the players. They were all part of my extended network. And then I, then I, then I quit <laughs> again. <laughs> then I sold the company uh, in 2014, me and the staff. It was a, a employee-owned by the time I, I got around to selling it. We got around to selling it, and I retired for a few years. I have a quite a big family. I've got six kids, so um, took a little time bouncing on a yoga ball with a new baby and going to the beach with the dogs for a few years, angel investing and consulting with uh, interesting companies that I liked, mostly not technology companies. And then I made a big strategic mistake. I invested in a company that Patrick Winstrom, the CEO, was running, and he uh, it was a technology company, and he wanted to use this thing called blockchain in uh, the supply chain management module that he was building for his platform, and I didn't know anything about it. So I took the weekend, famous story here, everybody's sick of it here over here. I took the weekend to read up on it, and by the end of the weekend, with my eyes all red and 
my hair crazy and that crazy wild look in my eye. My wife was like, you're going to start a company, aren't you? And I said, I, I think I might start too. <laughs> so uh, really, really just went through the, down the rabbit hole. I really, the technology bit is interesting. The enablement of new business models and the democratization of entrepreneurialism is far more interesting to me. I think the Bay Area and Silicon Valley have gotten stultified. You, you know, you go to the right schools like I did. You're a white guy like I am and you have a track record of success like I do. And you can go to anybody and get money and do whatever you want. Fail, succeed, it almost doesn't matter. But you are a woman in Southeast Asia. Good luck. There's no way to get money. Um, the cryptocurrency industry, the blockchain industry enables more people to get access to capital to start a business and more people to invest in those companies. So it democratizes access and investment. So I, I immediately found that interesting and fascinating and really kind of wor potentially world changing. And um, right away, I said, I got to know developers in the space. And Patrick and I went down to, to see the SF Ethereum developers meetup. We walked in and here's this at the time, 20 year old whippersnapper, smart ass that knew everything about blockchain, built a wickedly large, successful and engaged community. He had all the trappings of a future Matt McGraw killer. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was like, we got to, we got to work with this guy. And luckily enough, he liked us too. So that was our, uh, that was our origin story. What a, what a fantastic journey you've, you both have been on. It's, it's so interesting to hear, you know, how people get bit by this blockchain bug. Um, because I feel like, you know, once it's like a, you know, it's like a zombie, you know, once you got bit, there's no getting out. That's what I feel like when I interview people. That, that is that is entirely accurate. Once you go down the rabbit hole, you're really like for developers. It's a little bit more like vampirism because then the sun comes out. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because there's still such a big line in the sand between people who are all in or not. And there doesn't seem to be a middle ground building quickly. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, I, I think it's tribalism. Um, this is Matt. I think there's, and my wife says this all the time, actually, she kind of clued me into this. There's an egoism, there's just an egocentrism to the original crypto community that I think is detrimental to mass adoption. They are pretty sure the original people that have been in it since, you know, for a while, that got in it before, say, last fall, they all think that they're the smartest people on the planet. And you know what? Many of them are. Many of them really, really have like this brilliant vision of how the world can be. But what the old world has that the new world kind of doesn't is the ability to execute effectively. And I think mm -hmm. there's real benefit to get marrying kind of best practices of the kind of old world and the best and the best ideas from the new world uh, in an effective way. I think that's going to get mass adoption, which I think we're all after. And so um, I don't think there's a middle ground right now because the market's not going up still. The crypto market tanked in January and never really recovered. And I think a lot of people thought it was get a get rich quick scheme. And once that get rich part got out, um, what was left was real technology, real people struggling, just like entrepreneurs from time immemorial. And it looks a lot more normal now, but yet these, the kind of, there's a, still a lot of true believers in it. And that there's a little bit of a dichotomy and a little bit of a tension there. And I think that makes it hard for somebody to say, like I do oftentimes, like I think blockchain technology is totally unbelievable. I think half the, um, the projects that are in the cryptocurrency, you know, point market cap are crap. So, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's a middle ground for you. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. And, you know, being in this space for the, the time you guys have been in it and just your, your really wonky journey to get here, uh, all these different bits and pieces come together. 
What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned up until this point? This is Matt. I've got one, and then I'm going to hand it over to Zane. Um, mine is that there's not really anything different about this market uh, or this mm -hmm. industry. So it turns out that every cryptocurrency or blockchain project is a startup. Most of them are tech startups, but many of them aren't. And they should be run just, well, they should be well-run organizations, however you want to do it. And there's new ways to do that that are enabled by kind of the tokenization of, of companies and projects. But that doesn't mean that good human governance isn't needed. That doesn't mean that financial discipline isn't needed. That doesn't mean, you know, a really good, solid product roadmap isn't needed. All of these things are just like, should be de facto in every company that gets started or every organization that gets started, but oftentimes are looked at as like um, constricting. And I, I guess it just doesn't feel that different to me other than this new technology and the new economic incentive layer that's built on top of this technology makes more possible. Mm. Full stop. I'll hand it over to Zane. Cool. So I think that my biggest lessons learned has been very personal one. There's a whole lot to learn about work and entrepreneurialism. Being a just barely 22-year-old uh, founder of a 32-person company, it's kind of insane. Work-life balance was absolutely a lesson that I need to learn. And it sort of throws me back to when I was a senior in high school, and I'd been working all year with these six guys. There was Sam and Joe and Tristan. And on the last day of school, we marched down the halls of Alamo Heights High School, singing our hearts out. <laughs> <laughs> literally going through a repertoire of music that we had learned all year as uh, this barbershop quartet. <laughs> and we marched our way, amassing like an army of students behind us into the main hall of the, auditorium of the school um, and felt it out every song we knew, every song that we had worked so hard on. And before the principal sent everyone back to class, she came up and shook each of our hands. And so it's sort of a relearning of a lesson that the hard work and having something to show for it really, really pays off, whether you're in music, whether you're in construction, or whether you're in tech. And I think that no matter what, having something to show for everything we've put in through all of this, having actually built a protocol or a learned side <laughs> is, is something that, um, a lesson that I don't think I could ever forget. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's also about, you know, you're saying working really hard and having something to show for it. I think a lot of people work really hard, but they're not working smart. Right. You have to work smarter, not harder, because if you're working smarter. You will have something to show for it. If you're just spinning your wheels, you know, you're not going to you're not going to have a product at the end of it. And you guys clearly have worked very smartly to create this this protocol and to create Dispatch Labs. Thank you. <laughs> um, so if people are very interested, you know, they want to start using it. They want to get involved. They want to check out your uh, your open source code. How do we get more information about you? Right. We direct people to our website, dispatchlabs.io. We've got a new website, lots of fun clickable buttons, like join our Telegram if you want to be part of the community, or join our Discord if you're a developer interested in building on us. If you join one of those two, you're, uh, you're in the community, you're in the family, and you'll there's a, a, several different on-ramps for several different paths you can take. Yeah, and it's dispatchlabs.io. Fantastic. Well, Matt, Zane, thank you both so much for joining me today on Future Tech Podcast, and and sharing your fantastic story and and your excellent your excellent protocol here. So thank you, and we'll have to have you on again in the future to get an update on what what has changed and where you're going. Great, looking forward to it. Awesome. Keep an eye out for that mainnet launch in October. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Shout out to make sure you you guys take a look at that in October. So check out Dispatch Lab again. Thank you, Matt. 
And thank you, Zane. You guys have a great day. Take care. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.